Welcome back to Fall Classic Rewind, the stories behind the World Series. Today we're continuing our coverage of the 2023 playoffs, moving on to the National League side of things, starting with the division series between Arizona and Los Angeles. Arizona, the D-backs, who won only 84 games, the the third wildcard team, matched up with the Brewers, had two comeback victories, and their reward, well, taking on the 100-win division rival, National League West champion, Los Angeles Dodgers. A team that's made the playoffs 11 straight years, won the division 10 out of those 11, has had four straight 100-win seasons when we've had full seasons. It would be five because that 2020 team would have won 100 games. Pretty confident in that. You know, the Dodgers are a regular season juggernaut, right? Even, Even if they sputter in May and June, and you're wondering, oh, well, is it, is it the D-backs time? Is it the Padres time? Is it the Giants time? Yeah, we get to the end of the year and it's, oh yeah, no, it was the Dodgers all along. All right. They are so impressive under Andrew Friedman's stewardship. Like their ability to put together rosters that, uh, that just outcompete every night right? It's, they've got platoon advantages. They've got multi-positional guys. They can, they can set up a lineup that's going to have an advantage almost every night they go out there and also have a bunch of arms, right? You know, they're, they'll take depth in starting pitching, but they can also piece together innings of, of really effective relievers, right? Like again, the advantage the Dodgers have is they combine having star talent, top level guys, right? Marquee free agents, marquee trades, homegrown guys, and, you know, guys who turn their careers around like a Max Muncie or a Chris Taylor, guys who are basically cast offs from other organizations who they can turn almost into all-star caliber players. You know, think back to Justin Turner, who's now with the Red Sox, you know, and they're able to, like guys basically come for career revivals. Think about this year with Jason Hayward and JD Martinez, right? And, you know, guys sometimes even come over as pitchers and come and figure it out. Look at Tyler Anderson last year or Andrew Heaney. Didn't work so much for Noah Syndergaard or Lance Lynn this year. But it's the type of thing where they have a culture and they have a consistency and a standard of winning in the regular season. And it's really darn impressive. I never want anyone to lose sight of the fact that this team wins so much in the regular season. Probably if it were in the past, right, when we didn't have divisions or maybe only one division and and the increased randomness of the playoffs, this is a team that might have won a few more World Series, right? We don't think of the Dodgers as a dynasty, because they've only got one World Series to show for this, right? Like when it comes to dynasty talk, it's about the rings, right? (laughs) That's why the Giants and the Red Sox can be considered dynasties despite not having the same consistent cores through all of that, right? But if you want to be the Yankees or the A's or the Reds, right? You know, you need to get it done in October and... The fact of the matter is, these Dodgers haven't been able to do it 
consistently, right? They have, they've had deep playoff runs, right? When you look at 2017 and 2018 and other years that they've gotten to the championship series, like against the Cubs all the way back in 2016, right? You know, this, it's, it's not as if it has just been a complete and utter failure in the postseason, right? It's random. It's part of the reason what makes it so cool, right? For me as a baseball fan uh, and who wants more baseball, wants interesting stories to tell. Um, but sometimes you want interesting stories to tell about greatness. All this is to say, despite this being another 100-win season, right, and having the star power of Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman at the top of your lineup, uh, and the Kershaw seeming like an ageless wonder, posting like a two a sub two five ERA yet again, like lowering. It's hard for Clayton Kershaw to lower his career ERA, but he did it this year, right? Like, <laughs> and having young rookies like Bobby Miller coming in throwing a hundred, and having a stable full of relievers with with nasty stuff like Evan Phillips and Bruce Dargraderall and reviving the career of Ryan Brazier and all and all the like, right? Like, it just seems like those are things we expect from the Dodgers, and yet then they get to the postseason and we're wondering, well, why didn't they come through? I think this year is going to be the most explainable out of any because the one thing that these Diamondbacks lack, the, sorry, that these Dodgers lack, especially compared to the Diamondbacks, right? That the Dodgers lack compared to their opponent is starting pitching, right? Kershaw, love him. And he's had a whole host of playoff troubles, but that doesn't have anything to do with the fact that he's old and a little bit injured and he's a carefully managed guy. Bobby Miller, great stuff, but he's a rookie, right? He's never pitched in the postseason. They traded for Lance Lynn. And he led the league with 44 home runs given up this year. And the bigger factor is that Dustin May, Tony Gonsolin, and Walker Bueller all out with elbow injuries, right? Dustin May went down. He looked great when he came back this year, but he went down with injury. Gonsolin was not as good as he was in previous years. And, oh, it turns out it's because he was hurt. And Bueller, who was trying to return from Tommy John, ran out of time. Didn't have enough time to ramp up and wouldn't have been able to pit, have pitched competitively. And so when you have that, either guys are hurt, old, ineffective, or inexperienced, that all leads to a situation where you're going up against a team that has strong starting pitching in Zach Gallon and Merrill Kelly, who are going to be able to throw four out of five games in this series, right? You know, the D-backs were only able to win 84 games because – well, they were only able to throw those guys two out of every five games, right, in the regular season. You know, so they the D-backs, who the rest of their starting rotation is a bit of a nightmare in the playoffs, well, they can rely on their horses. They can rely on their aces. And when that lineup is hot, right, and the D-backs lineup can be streaky, but and right now they're on a hot streak, they can come right at you and do a lot of damage. So as we're going to see, and, and as we'll watch this unfold, it will be another 
October of disappointment in the city of angels. But I think this one, right? If you want to blame Dave Roberts, that's ridiculous, right? I think there were in previous years, there were things to blame Dave Roberts or things to blame Andrew Friedman, but this one, yeah, probably more going to be pointed to injuries and lack of depth and things that some things that were frankly out of the Dodgers control. We'll get into the games and we'll get into this frankly magical run that the Diamondbacks are going to be on after a word from our sponsor. When you think of Arizona, you think of D-backs, Red Rocks, Saguaro Cactus, and the Grand Canyon. Well, you know, just a three-hour drive from the Grand Canyon is another iconic natural landmark, Monument Valley, right on the border of Arizona and Utah. Some of the most awe-inspiring and majestic sights you will ever see on Earth are right here in Monument Valley. Sun comes up, sun goes down over these giants of the desert. You'll rub your eyes and you'll think, this can't be real. It must be some kind of movie map painting. Well, it's real, all right. And it's the stuff of movie magic at the same time. You'll recognize the sights from the great westerns of the past, especially from the classic John Ford pictures, beginning with Stagecoach and continuing on with My Darling Clementine and Fort Apache and She Wore a Yellow Ribbon and perhaps the greatest of them all, The Searchers. And when John Ford and the Duke, John Wayne, collaborated on these motion pictures, they were sure to stay at Goulding's Lodge in Monument Valley. That same great hospitality these legendary filmmakers enjoyed at Goulding's can still be yours at the same famous property, Goulding's Resort. Enjoy the stunning southwestern sights of Monument Valley from your window or your doorstep. Whether you choose the lodge or the RV park or the campgrounds, you can expect endless views with resort-style amenities. Dine on authentic Southwestern and Navajo flavors in the Stagecoach dining room. You can relax and rejuvenate in the indoor pool or on the sun deck. You take a journey back into the past at the Goulding's Trading Post Museum or catch your favorite Western in the Earth Spirit Theater. There's a private airstrip available for you, too. What do you want me to do? Draw you a picture? Spell it out for you? Well, Goulding's is the gateway to Monument Valley. What's interesting heading into this game one between the Dodgers and the D-backs is that since the D-backs had to throw their best pitchers essentially just to get into the playoffs, right? They actually, when the wild card round started, they didn't have to burn their number one starter. They only had to use Zach Gowan for game two. They were able to hold their number two starter, Merrill Kelly. They were, they didn't have to use him in the wild card round, which means he's able to start game one of this series. And because of how the scheduling is going to work, right? This is going to be a series where they play on a Saturday, but then they have an off day in order to account for rainouts, but also to stagger 
National League and American League, where they would initially just start on different days. Um, right? There's going to be a day off, which means Zach Gallen, their ace, will be able to throw game two. The more important thing is that means of how this series sets up means Merrill Kelly will be able to come back on regular rest instead of short rest for game four. And because of then the additional travel day, Zach Gallen would be available if this series goes five to pitch against the Dodgers back at Dodger Stadium in game five. Right. So having your best two pitchers be able to throw four out of the five games in this series is a huge, huge advantage. The only issue for the D-backs, though, <laughs> heading into that is, historically, Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallen have not been good against the Dodgers in their career. Starting with Gallen, like, he's never won at Dodger Stadium 0-4 with like a 4.5 ERA and 6 starts. So, again, small sample size. Um, Gallen's only beaten the Dodgers once in his career, and that was at a home start. His overall ERA is in the threes, so not bad. But again, hardly any much success against the Dodgers. Merrill Kelly flat out has been awful against the Dodgers, especially at Dodger Stadium. 0-11 in his career and 16 starts against the Dodgers with a 5.5 ERA. Like, Merrill Kelly is a guy who has a winning record in his career is he's like 48 and 43 with like a three, eight ERA in his career. So think about what he is against everyone, not the Dodgers. He's a great pitcher against the Dodgers. Awful. But all of that gets thrown out. All of that gets thrown out when you get to the postseason. And on the flip side, right? This is where it's important, you know, talking about Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman who crush everybody in the regular season. Betts definitely slowed down in the month of September, right? Did not have a great September, but the Dodgers were cruising. They didn't need him to be great. But this is kind of about Clayton Kershaw. Clayton Kershaw, who is the best left-handed pitcher of his generation, in, ter in terms of total career, right, total regular season career, the best pitcher in Dodgers history, best left-handed pitcher in Dodgers history, one of the best pitchers of all time, three times Cy Young, his ERA, career ERA is like 248. Amazing. And yet, when Clayton gets to the postseason, his ERA jumps by two runs, right? And... He's got about a regular season sample size, almost 200 innings, a bunch of postseason starts, a bunch of postseason relief appearances, and it's just staggering. Like, it, it's, it's, he seems like a different pitcher. Now, the underlying numbers will tell you yes, he is worse in the postseason. It's mainly due to bad home run luck, right? And how much of that is luck? How much of that is him pushing things and all of that? How much of it is guys selling out for home runs in the postseason, right? His strikeout and walk numbers are are similar, but it's, it's really the home runs that that beat him in the playoffs. But, you know, he's a guy who is a dominant, as dominant a regular season pitcher as you can get, and especially against the D-backs, a team he has owned throughout his career. And so, you know, heading into, heading into this game one, right, 
Clayton Kershaw on the mound, Dodger Stadium's ready, though, of course, not all the fans are there yet because it's Dodger Stadium. Um, it's LA dealing with LA traffic. People like to, you know, they keep coming in until about the third or fourth inning, and then they start leaving after the sixth. That I kid, I kid. But Kershaw has had his struggles in the, in the postseason, and these D backs who have struggled against these Dodgers, it has been that. I mean, just flat out, the Dodgers have had their number the past few years. So they've had their number for a decade, right? You know, the Dodgers have had, like, they are so tough. And yet, these Diamondbacks are not afraid of anybody. And they're going to demonstrate that from the get-go. First batter of the game, Cattell Marte, the switch hitter, hitting right-handed absolutely lasers a ball off of Clayton Kershaw. Like it looked like a slider in the middle of the zone hits it like 116 miles an hour to left center. James Outman, the rookie center fielder tries to run it down, but can't come up with it kind of goes off of his glove. Given how hard the balls hit, it's ruled as a double. And that brings up lefty Corbin Carroll. The star rookie, going to win rookie of the year, probably going to be a top five MVP vote getter this year. Got off to an incredible start against the Brewers. He steps in against Clayton Kershaw and is going to demonstrate, we ain't afraid of you, Dodgers. This past history, none of that matters. We are here to forge new history. Corbin's got a couple of career home runs against Clayton Kershaw. Yeah, he certainly does. He's four for seven also, hitting 571. And only those seven at-bats, but still, he has seen the ball well off Kershaw. So the Diamondbacks in good shape here to start the night. That quieted that Dodger crowd fast. Kershaw looks back at Marte, and the pitch is up the middle. Center field, and the Diamondbacks go on top. Marte comes around third to score, and it's one nothing Diamondbacks. Two batters in the ball game, and an RBI hit by Corbin Carroll. And the Dodger fans are booing. You know, we were talking about, you know, this is such important, the top of the order. It's really going to be a battle of the top of the order, as we were talking about. And there you saw it. Marte just screamed one to center field, and then Carroll follows it up with a base hit, RBI, and gives the Diamondbacks a lead. And I would look for him to run. Quick strike offense. And these are not like playing small ball, little flares. These two balls have been hit hard. And just from the outset in this game, right? Kershaw, the stuff does not look sharp. It looks, frankly, it looks fat and not moving. And the D-backs are just ready to crush. Tommy Pham steps up, actually falls behind 0-2 but gets a ball in the middle of the plate and rips it into left field to bring up Christian Walker, a guy who, you know, has has had great, great numbers against Clayton Kershaw so far in his career. Like one of the guys with, I think he might've had five home runs coming in uh, to this series and all this, but another guy who's not afraid and is <laughs> sitting on a career year He's going to get into a two-strike count, but Kershaw can't put him away. 
doesn't have the sharpness on the breaking ball. And so on the seventh pitch of the at-bat, when Clayton Kershaw needs, like what he needs right now, it can be a hard hit ball, but what he needs is something hit right at someone or a strikeout just needs to basically get it out. This is going to happen. A big year. He drove in 100 runs for the first time. He had two RBIs in the two games in Milwaukee. He's got two on for him right here and nobody out. And a run into the first inning. The stretch and the pitch. And a drive to left. Peralta goes back and he'll have to play it off the fence. Carroll will come in to score. Pham will get to third base. Walker into second with an RBI double. And the Diamondbacks lead it two to nothing and another hit. Four consecutive hits to open up this ball game against Clayton Kershaw by the D-backs. His curveball this time, I think that's the first one he's thrown. And he just hit this ball 106 miles an hour off the bat. Peralta got back there, and I thought he was going to catch it. And he just waited for the ball to hit the bottom of the wall. He picked it up, delivered it back in, but that brings a run in. But also, you got guys on second and third. And Gabby Marino, the hitter now. What a swing there from Christian Walker, sitting back, driving that ball, driving in another run, adding on, and more importantly, setting up second and third, nobody out, like just continuing to put pressure onto Clayton Kershaw and these Dodgers and basically completely take the L.A. crowd out of this ball game. And hey, it's only going to get worse from here. Uh, by the way, on the call, 98.7 Arizona D-backs radio, Greg Schulte on play-by-play, Tom Candiotti as the color analyst. And there will be, later we'll have some from the, the, the secondary play-by-play who shares in the long history of baseball broadcasting with his family name. Uh, we'll get to that uh, in a little bit. But up steps uh, Gabriel Moreno, the guy who had the huge, huge home run uh, in, off of Corbin Burns in the wild card series and then actually came out after getting hit in the head, uh, but he ended up not having a concussion. Moreno, as I mentioned when I covered that series, they got him in the trade sending Dalton Varsho over to Toronto and bringing in Lourdes Gurriel Jr. and Gabriel Moreno. And when Moreno has caught, right, his offensive numbers are very good for a catcher, but, you know, he's not some outstanding, you know, like Buster Posey, JT Real Muto. Like, no, he's an above-average hitter, which is great at catcher. But they win when he plays. And perhaps part of that is because when he can get into a 3-2 count, right, he's able to do things like this. He's got a 3-2 count after falling behind. No balls, two strikes. Peralta, not much of an arm in left field in case he gets a sack fly that way. 3-2 pitch on the way. And a drive to left. Way back, three-run homer. Five-nothing Diamondbacks. Circle him. A slider right over the middle of the dish, and Gabby just hammered that ball. No doubt about it. 
as Pham and Walker score ahead of him. And the Diamondbacks have played at five in the first inning and lead Kershaw on the Dodgers 5-0, still with nobody out. Five consecutive hits, double by Marte, RBI hit Carroll, base hit Pham, RBI double Walker, and a three-run blast by Marino, his second postseason home run. Five up, five runs in. It doesn't get any better than that. No, it does not. Now the batter is Guriel. Still nobody out. Moreno absolutely crushing that ball, letting out a huge bat flip, yelling over to his dugout there on the first base side. Absolute joy in that first base dugout and despair on the other side of the diamond and a nightmare, a nightmare of an outing for the great Clayton Kershaw and just an absolute punch. I mean, that's getting punched in the face and punched in the gut and kicked while you're hunched over, right? Like this is just a beat down from the D-backs and the inning ain't over. (laughs) The inning is not over. Finally, Kershaw retires a batter. Guriel grounds out to short, though he does hit the ball pretty hard. Uh, Clayton Kershaw then falls behind Alec Thomas, who works a great at-bat, draws a walk, bringing up Evan Longoria to the plate. Evan Longoria, who I bet if you had asked a bunch of people, they would have thought, well, Evan Longoria, he's not still a raise. He's still with the Giants. What's going on with him? He's on the D-backs this year, didn't have a great year, but a veteran, you know, one of the, you know, it's so funny to go back and look on his career and see like, oh, he's kind of got a borderline Hall of Fame case. You know, if he had kept up his level of play uh, and hadn't hadn't had regressed, but still a great presence, especially against left-handed pitching. And Kershaw, who's, desperately trying to find a way to get out of this inning is going to have his night come to an end here in the first. Thanks to Evan Longoria. Contemplating. Yeah, he is. Sheehan has been up in the bullpen. He should be ready. The batter now is Longoria. It's like he's going to lime to face one more hitter. Longoria's got good numbers against him also. 11 for 39, a homer, a pair of doubles, hitting 282. Kershaw is really perspiring out there on the mound. There's a fake lob to first by Kershaw. That's an easy disengagement. Yeah, he's he's a little flustered right now. So Longoria steps in. Thomas is lead. And Evan swings, corks it to left center field. That ball gets down to the wall. Thomas to second. Rounding third, being waved home. Here he comes. The throw, not in time. And it's 6-0 Diamondbacks with an RBI double by Longoria. Boy, that ball was ripped. Outman gave it a shot. He tried to dive and catch this ball. It gets by him. Kershaw didn't even bother backing up home plate. He stayed there and watched. I mean, he is way out of kilter. In fact, he's the one that cut this ball off. And that's going to do it for him. Yeah, Dave Roberts makes his way to the mound. Kershaw will leap. Sheehan will come in. 
And kind of a mixed reaction for Clayton Kershaw. He gets one out facing eight batters in the first inning. The Diamondbacks tag him for six. I don't know if that's going to be the last time we see Clayton Kershaw take the mound in his career or take the mound as a Dodger at Dodger Stadium. Certainly not the way he would want his career to end. I mean, again, there's no doubt he's a surefire Hall of Famer. And there are thoughts about whether or not you want to go out on top or if you're going to let the game let you know that you're done. Um, Because it's tough. You know, Kershaw posted like a 2-4-6 ERA this year over across, I think, 130 innings. You know, it was like 13-4. and You know, obviously still has ability. Um, But... He did was dealing with injuries, right? And, you know, you can make arguments about whether or not Dave Roberts should have pulled him earlier, but when the first five batters go five, five for five with a home run to close it and you're down five nothing, I don't think there's anything you can do as a manager other than make, wish you didn't start him. But how were you not going to give the ball to Clayton Kershaw in game one, especially when, as we're going to see with the other options, they're not great, right? No, and this is just going to come around to where Dodgers got put in a tough spot and they're playing a team that is hot. Now Emmett Sheehan comes in and he's able to work out of the inning, getting a strike out of Geraldo Perdomo and getting Cattell Marte to ground out to first. A nice play by Freddie Freeman going up, ranging over to get the ball. Merrill Kelly, shut down inning. Again, the type of thing of, hey, you could even give up a run in the first inning or maybe even two runs and it wouldn't be the end of the world, but so important and especially deflating to the crowd, not letting them get back in this game, right? Your offense goes and gives you six runs. It's almost more important that you go down and sh- and and shut them out in the first inning. Uh, Will Smith does pick up a uh, two-out base hit, but it's also important, like, the first batter for Merrill Kelly is a great at-bat for Mookie Betts, fouling off pitches, but Kelly's able to get him looking, right? And then he's able to set the tone. Christian Walker makes a great diving play at first base uh, to get Max Muncy out. And so... To lead off the top of the second is Corbin Carroll. And it's definitely the time where you're thinking, hey, if we can get something more, right? Like you you batted around in the first inning and now you have the middle of the lineup coming. Like it's six nothing. You don't necessarily need more runs. But every single run you can get, you're going to take. You know, it's hard to deliver a knockout blow in the second inning. But this here from Corbin Carroll is about as close to a knockout knockout blow you can deliver this early in a game. A high drive to deep right field. This ball is gone, and I mean long gone. The minute it left the bat, you knew there was no way the ballpark would hold that one.
pound for pound. Maybe the strongest player in the league is Corbin Carroll. He's 5'10 and 165, had 25 home runs during the regular season, threw in 10 triples. This is his second home run of the postseason. That's Bob Costas and Ron Darling on the call for TBS. We'll have a mix of TBS and Diamondbacks radio for the rest of this series. But my goodness, Corbin Carroll packs a punch, <laughs> a compact punch, doesn't he? My goodness, that ball is crushing again it's just sort of deflate like <laughs> keep the pedal to the metal right and that's what the d-backs are going to do they're going to go on and score a couple of runs guriel drives in a run they make it nine nothing after just two innings and they're going to go on to win 11 to two uh I think uh, Merrill Kelly pitches either into this. He pitches into the seventh inning. Um, you know, they do give up two runs, but just a convincing, convincing victory in game one. Exactly how you want to start off. But, right, teams have had blowout, vic blowout victories in game one and then come back to lose three straight games, right? Like, it's all about for the Dodgers, how do you respond? And for the D-backs, can you keep it up? And boy, are the D-backs going to be able to keep it up. Game two, going up against Bobby Miller, the flame-throwing young righty guy who throws harder, like throws more 100-mile-per-hour fastballs than any other starter. But, again, this is his first foray into the postseason. He's a rookie. And these D-backs, they're getting their feet wet with this, and they want to continue to put pressure on these Dodgers. And that's exactly what they're going to do. The top of, again, the top of this lineup is dangerous, right? So to lead off the game, Corbin Carroll draws a walk. And then Cattell Marte reaches on a bunt single. And then Tommy Pham steps in, rips a ball in the left, hits it a little too hard and on a line, right? It skips to the left fielder, David Peralta. And so Carroll's not able to come around to score. But here we go. Pressure on. Like, the Dodgers need a shutdown inning, essentially, right? Like, they can't fall behind yet again. And yet, with Christian Walker at the plate, he's going to find a way to do a job and if not for outfielder James Outman, this first inning could go a whole lot worse for the Dodgers. Carroll, Marte, and Pham are the runners with nobody out. A drive to center. Outman turns, going way back with a leap, and he makes the catch against the wall. The runners tag. At least the two lead runners do. Carroll scores. Marte to third. Pham holds first. one nothing Arizona. Well, a lot of fans questioning the first play of the game last night that Outman could not come up with a ball off the bat that was 116 miles an hour. But what a play he made on this line drive off the bat of Walker. This ball had a little cut on it and moved to his left, so he had to make that adjustment. 
and the former football player makes the play. Another great swing from Christian Walker and an excellent play by James Outman, kind of reminding me of the play that uh, Cody Bellinger made against Howie Kendrick in 2019, a very similar running back up against the wall with runners in scoring position. They're able to get the run in uh, to make it, you know, a productive out for Christian Walker. But again, without that play, (laughs) right? Think about how bad things could have gone. Um, You know, Tommy Fan. Fam ends up stealing second base uh, in the next at bat, which is actually really important because Moreno hits hits a ground ball, which brings in a run. If Fam doesn't steal second, it's probably a double play, and the Dodgers out with only one run given up. Instead, two outs, a runner still in scoring position, and uh, a two nothing game, and that brings up Lourdes Gurriel Jr., who is going to step in against the hard-throwing righty. But ultimately, right, you know, there is something to the to to the fact of, hey, if you throw hard, your margin for error is increased. But just because you throw hard, velocity isn't everything. There's movement, there's command, um, there's different spin you can put on it. Because if you're throwing 100 and it's flat, Major League hitters are going to find a way to barrel it up. Goriel lines it to center. This will bring another run home. Here comes Pham, and it's 3-0 Diamondbacks. Well, Bob, those are always the backbreakers. You seemingly think you're out of the inning. Those two out RBIs. He has not been able to land his slider, so he has had to use his fastball. And his fastball, even though it's 100 miles an hour, it is put into play. 252 batting average against that 100-mile, 99-mile-an-hour fastball. So the pitching coach, Mark Pryor, goes to the mound. A three-run first inning for the Diamondbacks. You know... So far, to this point, Dodgers starters have completed just one inning, right? They've gotten three outs, and they've given up nine runs. That's an ERA of 81. Obviously, Miller's going to bring that down a little bit as he's able to work, ends up able to work into the third inning. But man, oh man, not what you want if you are Dave Roberts and exactly what you want if you're Tori Lavolo, because that also means, right, even if this exterior, this series extends out, right, that means you're going to get opportunities to see the Dodgers relievers over and over again, even if they get you out, even if you're not able to add on, right? There's the more times you see guys pitch, the better you're going to do off of them and the more you're going to make them work and fatigue in a short series. So all this is to say things are looking great, and especially for the D-backs, because you've got your ace, Zach Gallen, on the mound. You've spotted him a 3-0 lead. Go out there and get it, young man, right? In the first inning, once again, a shut-down inning. Gets Mookie Betts to fly out. Freddie Freeman gets a weak infield single. 
By the way, spoiler alert, that's going to be the only hit between Betts and Freeman in this entire series. A measly infield single in the first inning of game two. We'll have more to to say on that. Anyway, after a two-out walk to Max Muncy, he's able to get J.D. Martinez to strike out swinging. Bobby Miller then goes, and he actually doesn't make it out of the second inning, you know, after getting two outs, but he does allow two base runners. Um, um, Dave Roberts goes to Brewster Gratterall, uh, basically to go in and cover a couple of innings and keep the score where it is. You know, Miller's frustrated. You know, after he maybe felt like he had found some things, but ultimately it's just not good, not good for the Dodgers starters so far. We're going to go to the bottom of the fourth um, after Zach Gallen has gotten two outs, two fly balls. That brings up J.D. Martinez, who did not come through with two run with two runners on in the first inning. But he's going to get to a 3-2 count. And one thing J.D. Martinez can do better than pretty much any other right-handed hitter is the ability to take fastballs that are out and away, up and away, and barrel them up and put backspin on there to be dangerous to right field. Does it better than almost anyone else? Here he is putting that into practice. High fly ball, this one goes deep to the right. Carroll goes back, he's at the wall with a leap, and it's gone. That ball seemed to have almost a second life. On Saturday night, we saw three or four different fly balls in right field just die at the warning track. This one, just the opposite. Just had that carry. So Martinez homers on a full count, and Dodger Stadium comes alive. J.D. has always had tremendous power to right field and right center. And he gets that ball with that backspin and just wouldn't come out of the air. Now Jason Hayward sends a looping fly ball in the center field. And Alec Thomas is there to take it. So they settle for one, and after four, it's 3-1. Arizona, Carroll came close, but not quite. Yeah, Corbin Carroll came really, really close to bringing that one back just out of his reach. Um but a well-hit ball by Just Dinger's J.D. Martinez. I believe, well, they might actually later in this game, but it's that's the only real damage that the Dodgers are going to do against Diamondbacks starting pitching in this series. It's, it's fascinating. The Dodgers middle relievers, Ryan Brazier, then comes into the game, do a really good job at keeping things where they are. It's a 3-1 game. Dodgers are a little bit more back into it. And in the bottom of the fifth, they're going to make things a little more interesting. James Outman draws a one-out walk. 
Miguel Rojas gets a base hit to, to center field. Mookie Betts then grounds out into a force out, able to beat out the double play, setting up first and third with Freddie Freeman at the plate. This right here, folks, is the most important bat of the ball game, most important at bat of this series. Gallon starts him off with a high fastball that's way above the zone, but on purpose, right? Elevated out of the zone. He then comes with a changeup, which Freeman takes, catches the outside corner. He then throws a cutter on the outer half. Freeman fouls it off. Gallon's next two pitches are breaking balls that bounce in the dirt, right? To set up a full count. But Gallon, he obviously, he wanted Freddie to try to chase those, but Freddie wasn't biting. So what is Gallon going to go to do? How has he set him up, right? 3-2 count. Mookie Betts is going to be running. So any ball that gets to the outfield, right, that gets to the gaps is guaranteed that it'll be a tie game. And, hey, Freddie Freeman can do damage, right? 59 doubles on the year, nearly 30 homers, one of the best hitters you've ever seen, and a dangerous guy, right? So what is Gallon going to do? How is he going to set him up? signaling to Gallon, I'm going to play behind the runner. Full count, crowd on its feet. The 3-2. Strike three called. He got him with a curve. Freeman looking hard. He got soft. And the inning is over. Dodgers strand two. They do not score. And we go into the sixth. Diamondbacks three. Dodgers one. Game two of the division series on the Diamondbacks radio network. What a pitch there by Zach Gallen, freezing Freeman with the sharp breaking ball. Freeman, seeing that out of the hand, thinks it's that high fastball, right? Thinks, hey, there ain't no way. He's throwing the two curveballs in the dirt. He can't bring it in, right? I'm sitting dead red. I'm looking for that fastball. And, oh, it's hot. Oh, it's right down the middle. Great, great sequencing. We've seen a lot of people, whether if you follow Rob Friedman or you follow John Boy, who are able to kind of piece that all together, breaking breaking it down with the video. I encourage you to go look at it. A masterclass from Zach Gallen in setting a guy up. Perfect. By the way, that's the Diamondbacks secondary radio play-by-play guy. A last name that will sound very familiar if you've been listening to our show. That's Chris Garagiola. That's right. Grandson of Joe Garagiola Sr., the uh, longtime NBC broadcaster, and the son of Joe Garagiola Jr., who, of course, used to be president and GM of the D-backs back in the 90s and 2000s. So part of a rich family history in regards to baseball, Chris Garagiola on the call right there. And so that's such an important at bat, right? Such an important sequence, an opportunity for the Dodgers where they can't score. The most important thing, if you're the D-backs, is then taking advantage right thereafter. Now, Ryan Brazier gets the first two guys and then gets into a two-strike count on Lourdes Goriel Jr., able to 
you know, so close to having a quick inning, putting the pressure right back on Zach Gallen. But Guriel, well, there's just something about Guriel's in the playoffs coming up in clutch moments. One, two. Swing and a fly ball left field. Well struck. Going back Peralta at the track. Turns, looks, and it's gone. Solo shot for Guriel. It's his first of the postseason. And the Diamondbacks get that run right back. It's 4-1. to one. What a huge home run that is. Another slider thrown. Four in a row. And this time Guriel said, that's enough. And he just got enough of that to launch it over the left field wall. It must be a family thing for the Guriels coming up with clutch home runs on breaking balls against the Dodgers in the postseason. How about that? And a great call from Chris Garagiola. Things get a little interesting for Zach Gallen in the bottom of the six. After getting Will Smith to ground out, he gives up back-to-back singles to Max Muncy and J.D. Martinez to bring the tying run to the plate. Now, Tori Lavulo goes and gets Zach Allen and says, hey, done enough for me. Five and a third. I know you wanted to go more, but let me go to the bullpen and bring in lefty Andrew Saulfrank, a guy who's yet to give up runs at the major league level, by the way. Now, it gets a little dicey here as Saulfrank ends up walking Chris Taylor, who pinch hits for Jason Hayward. That's the thing about the Dodgers. They have they can mix and match as much as they like. They have a left-handed lineup and a right-handed lineup, and guys who can play multiple positions. And then Enrique Hernandez, Kike Hernandez, comes in for David Peralta and gets a base hit, basically gets, uh, gets a singles ball up the middle, though Cattell Marte makes an incredible, an incredible diving stop up the middle to save a run and keep the bases loaded. That is a key play here because otherwise it would be a 4-3 game with runners on first and third and one out rather than a 4-2 game with the bases loaded. Now, Saul Frank is able to strike out James Outman on a full count, and then Tori Luvulo goes and gets his sidewinding righty the dude to put out the fire, Ryan Thompson. And pinch hitting for his shortstop, Dave Roberts brings in Colton Wong, a guy who hasn't hit well, but you're just looking for that lefty advantage. But immediately, this is going to work out for the Diamondbacks. And now Thompson has options here ahead 0-2. I throw the same pitch, but throw it down lower. Two outs at the 0-2. Swing and a weak ground ball to first. That's a fair ball. Walker has it, takes it to the bag, and the threat is over. The Dodgers, they get one on three hits and a walk, but they leave them loaded. And we go into the seventh. Diamondbacks lead it 4-2. Key pitch there from Ryan Thompson, especially with Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman waiting. Of course, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman are scuffling at the moment, but you just need to give them one at bat with runners in scoring position, and that can all change. A key, key inning there to put out the fire 
and keep things exactly where you need them to go. Now, the Diamondbacks are able to put on base runners like these next couple of innings. However, they are unable to add on. Thompson puts up a scoreless bottom of the seventh, including getting a double play from Freddie Freeman. Kevin Ginkle comes in in the eighth inning and induces yet another double play, That t- this time with Chris Taylor at the plate. You know, the T-backs put on a bunch of base runners in these late innings, but they're unable to add on. It seems like they're only really able to do damage against the starters of the Dodgers. But hey, you get out to leads, it's your job to hold them. Now in the ninth inning, Kike Hernandez lines out to left. Paul Seawald is into the game, the the closer acquired at the trade deadline. He then strikes out James Outman, bringing up Colton Wong. And now if Colton Wong can get on base, just find a way to get on, that means Mookie Betts will come up representing the tying run. But for Seawald and these Diamondbacks, who are just one out away from going back home up 2-0 in this series, they're going to find a way to ensure that happens. Seawald ready. Yeah, with two outs, brings home the 1-0 pitch. Wong swings, the drive to center. There's Thomas. He's got it. And the Arizona Diamondbacks have come into Los Angeles at Dodgers Stadium, and they've done the unthinkable. They have beaten the Dodgers twice in this best-of-five series. They will now come home to Chase Field for game three and if necessary game four with a chance to beat the Dodgers in this National League Division Series but they now have a commanding 2-0 lead over the Dodgers winning tonight's ball game 4-2 the Diamondbacks have shocked LA and uh, they they have they have no idea what just hit them right now they came into Dodger Stadium of all places and won two games and rather pretty easily also So this sets up beautifully to come back to Chase Field and wrap things up. What a win for the Diamondbacks, keeping the big bats at bay. And, you know, for the Dodgers, part of you has got to be thinking, man, season's on the line, big moments, and it's Kike Hernandez and Colton Wong up in, and James Outman up in big spots. Man. Wish our lineup was a little deeper, huh? Yeah, sometimes that's what happens when you lose guys like Gavin Lux to injury or guys aren't performing the way you want. But ultimately, the story through these first two games is the D-backs top of the order is getting the job done and the Dodgers top of the order is struggling mightily. And those trends are going to continue when we get to game three. Brandon Fott is going to be pitching the rookie who like of guys with 90 plus innings had the highest ERA, (laughs) you know, and Lance Lynn is starting for the, for the Dodgers. And while his numbers, his ERA was better once he was traded over and he was able to pick up some wins, still giving up homers. I mean, just the dude, can't find a way to keep the ball in the ballpark and boy is that going to be coming true in this game here today uh but early on zeros are traded right kind of 
the D-backs are able to put some base runners on in the bottom of the second, uh, but Lynn is able to get a key strikeout of Evan Longoria in the bottom of the second. And, you know, Brandon Fott faces the minimum through three. And so we go to the bottom of the third. I remember I missed part of this sequence because it was the end of the Astros twins game. And that really like tense moment, you know, and then I just remember switching over in the middle of this inning. I almost had to laugh at what happens here, but leading off is Geraldo Perdomo guy, not known for power was ended up being an all-star this year, but really re- struggled mightily in the second half. But he's going to get into a 2-1 advantage count against Lance Lynn. And he's going to do this. It's really a key to a lineup these days with no pitchers hitting is having that number nine hitter. High drive, deep right field, back at the warning track, back at the wall, touch them all! Geraldo Perdomo, one nothing Diamondbacks here in the third. Well, we knew Lynn could give up home runs. I didn't know Perdomo would be the first one to take him deep. And that was beautiful. So Perdomo homers to give the Diamondbacks a one nothing late. Just a pitch in the middle of the zone that Perdomo's able to barrel up. A guy who doesn't find the barrel that often, but against Lance Lynn, hey, everyone is taking comfortable hacks in there. And Lynn's like, all right, solo home runs. I give them up, whatever. You know, my job is to keep the other guys off base. And he is able to keep Corbin Carroll off base, gets him to ground out. But that that brings up Cattell Marte, who himself gets into a 1-0 advantage count. And Marte's already homered a couple times in this postseason. And standing at the plate, he does this. You see a 1-0 and a high fly ball, deep right field. No doubt about this, 2-0 Diamondbacks. Home run Marte, third of the postseason, 2-0 Diamondbacks. Making 11 home runs. Was that ball ever launched? That was a cut fastball inside, and 108 miles an hour later, that's almost over that first little deck. And this crowd really going bonkers now. A home run by Perdomo after a ground out by Carroll. A launch by Marte. And it's 2-0 Diamondbacks. Just an absolute no-doubter from Cattell Marte, who, man, he swings hard, I tell you, when he, like, he can barrel him up really, really well. And puts on a show for the fans when he hits a no-doubter, definitely admires his home runs, and Lance Lynn's just like, all right, what what do I do now? I mean, okay, all right. I mean, Dave Roberts is probably thinking, okay, two home runs. I'll get the bullpen ready. I'll start warming guys up, but, uh, you know, hey, Lance, just come back in the zone. We can come back from two runs. But what can happen is more runs and well unfortunately for dave roberts that is what's going to happen after tommy fam grounds out to second christian walker steps in and he himself gets it in advantage count three one lance lynn can't possibly can't possibly throw another fat pitch in this inning right 
Oh, you bet he can. I think last game of the game before, Walker is really seeing the ball well. He really is. Squaring up a lot of balls. Maybe not the home runs, but he's hitting line drive after line drive. Lynn was shaking his head back and forth. No, no, no. As he came set. And a drive to left. That ball might go. That ball's gone. How about this inning? Home run out, home run out, home run. Three nothing Diamondbacks. Walker's first of the postseason. Well, he's following suit. Boy, was that ball crushed. A cut fastball that had nothing on it, flat as can be, and it ended up in a left field bleachers. And that ball was 113 miles an hour. Will you listen to this crowd? They're loving every swing. Will Smith is out on the mound talking with Lance Lynn. The banner's going to be Marino. This power-hitting D-back team. I mean, this inning candy has gone home run. Out second base to first base, home run. Out second base, first base, home run. Let's break that pattern, hit another home run here. Does a BLA chance go up? Well, Moreno will be trying. My goodness. This was exactly when I, like, tuned into this game was right after this home run. And I was like, oh, my goodness. I mean, it can't possibly be that Dave Roberts is going to let Lance Lynn stay in this game. I mean, come on, right? And also you can't think, well, they can't possibly hit a fourth homer. And then Gabby Moreno gets in an advantage count, 2-1. And he crushes one down the right field line towards the pole and, well, they call it a home run. Moreno goes crazy. The crowd goes crazy. But Jason Hayward and the Dodgers bullpen are adamant that the ball is foul. And they're right. The umpires come together. They call it foul. They go review it, confirm, foul ball. All right. 2-2 two, two count. We're going to step back in. But, you know, wouldn't it be hilarious? Like, come on. It, it would just be It would just be pure comedy at this point, right? If Moreno went yard here, I mean, that can't possibly happen. Could it? Could it? Dodgers in the bullpen raw point foul ball. They got right. It was a foul ball. Counts two and two on Moreno on the pitch from Lynn. And a shot to left center field. Back she goes. Are you kidding me? Gabby Moreno hits it out anyway, and it's 4 nothing Diamondbacks. And Lance Lynn is just kind of staring out at center field. Have you ever seen that, Candy? I never. He's just, he's befuddled right now. This time he tried to slide her, and it just ended up in the same place like all the other pitches. Have you ever seen a hitter hit one foul that they reviewed? It was overturned, and on the very next pitch he is homered again? I remember watching that and just cackling, cackling, like, Oh my goodness, that, that didn't just happen, did it? That didn't just happen, did it? I was laughing with my dad on the couch and just like, <laughs> man, you can't script it any better, right? And just Lance Lynn and the Dodgers just in bewilderment and shock and the realization that, 
oh, we're, we were not prepared for any of this, which doesn't make any sense, right? Because these are Lance Lynn's a playoff tested guy. He was with those Cardinals all the way back in the day, right? And these Dodgers have been through all this, and yet they look like a team that's never seen the postseason, right? And, you know, 4 nothing lead yet again, multi-run lead for these uh, – for these D-backs and, you know, they're not going to be able to add on the rest of this game and they are going to be able to hold on. I'll break down some of the things that happened. Um, but my goodness, I mean, it's just, if you came into the series and asked who was the 100-win team and who was the team that's been to the playoffs 11 straight years and who is the team that lost 100 games just two years ago and is built by young players and all that, like, you would be shocked. You would be shocked at that fact. And yet here we are. The Dodgers facing elimination, facing desperation, right? are going to have to try to claw back from another multi-run deficit with their bullpen going, having to hold the line, right? Their bullpen does an admirable, admirable job in this series, by the way, and especially the last two games. They're going to do all that they can to give their offense a chance to come back. And just ultimately, the D-backs were better. And they did enough, right? Fott does an amazing job, only allows a couple of base runners, comes out after Wilt Smith hits a double in the fifth. Joe Mantabli is able to cover some. Ryan Thompson does end up giving up some a couple of runs. Uh, in the seventh inning to make it a 4-2 ball game. But Andrew Salfrank comes in, gets out of the jam, right? Kevin Ginkle comes in in the eighth inning and after walking the leadoff batter says, hey, Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman, you guys are coming up. Yes, sit right down. Go right back to the dugout. Strikes out Mookie Betts on a slider down and away and just completely obliterate. I mean, just makes Freddie Freeman look weak overpowering him with fastballs, getting those guys to chase out of the zone and then gets J.D. Martinez to fly out. And so that brings up the ninth inning, Paul Sewald on the mound, strikes out Max Muncy, allows a base hit to Will Smith, who has a great series, by the way. Will Smith has looked like the only Dodger who cared about anything along with Kike Hernandez pretty much. Then Chris Taylor puts a charge into one. I mean, crushes it. It'd be a home run in pretty much every ballpark. But not out to right center. Alec Thomas, who's a great, great defensive center fielder, runs it down on the track, throws it back in. And that brings up Kike Hernandez, who is back with the Dodgers after being with the Red Sox for a couple years. The D-backs looking to advance in the postseason, advance to the championship series for the first time since 2007, right? 16 years since they've been back in the championship series. And they're going to be able to make that happen through an absolute domination of their opponent. Here's the final out. Two outs in the ninth. Tied under the plate. 4-2 Diamondbacks. Seawall ready. Here's the pitch. And a fly ball to left. Gurriel's there. He's got it. And the Diamondbacks have beaten the Dodgers 
They have swept them out of Phoenix. They win 4-2 and advance for the first time since 2007 to the National League Championship Series against either Atlanta or Philadelphia. What a game this was. Four home runs and the way they barely held on and held off the Dodgers. What a fun game. A team win all the way around. A Dodgers team that won 100 games during the regular season. They sat four days awaiting to play as the Diamondbacks were playing in Milwaukee against the Brewers. The Diamondbacks went in there and won Tuesday and Wednesday last week. Won that series. Flew to Los Angeles. One Saturday, one Monday. And they come home and play only one game, one home game. They win that. They win this series three games to nothing. And now advance to the National League Championship Series. And what a run this has been for the Arizona Diamondbacks and this young ball club managed by Tori Lovello. I mean, this team, not only are they talented, not only are they good, but they got hot right at the right time. And that's the key. The teams that get the hottest are the teams that win ball games. And they took down a really well-built team, a team with two MVP candidates at the top of their order, and they just squashed them. They didn't do anything. Betts and Freeman had, you wouldn't have even expected that they would have had the kind of series that they had. So hats off to the pitching staff. Mookie Betts in this series went 0 for 11, 0 for 4 tonight. And Freddie Freeman in this series went 1 for 10 with an 0 for 4 tonight. Those two combined in this series, Candy, went 1 for 21. Who would have thought that would have ever happened? Just a complete series from these Diamondbacks. Did it with their offense, did it with their starting pitching. The bullpen got key outs, right? I mean, there was the drubbing in game one, and they had big innings in games two and three, but really it was about that complete effort, that complete team effort, right? Guys up and down the lineup contributing key defensive plays. I mean, this Diamondbacks team looking ahead to the championship series, right? They're formidable, right? They're dangerous and they're hungry, right? Like they're the type of team that you can't take for granted. You cannot take for granted. And I'm not saying that's what the Dodgers did, right? And as, as I said, it's pretty explainable why these Dodgers this year failed in the postseason. Starting pitching wasn't up to par, wasn't even close to being adequate for a playoff team, right? And part of that's injuries. Part of that's poor performance and bad timing and matchup. And they just didn't execute, right? You know, they just simply were not good enough. And the lineup. Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman got cold. And they expanded. I mean, I, I, I will say the last two games, right? You could tell from their at-bats that they were trying hard, right? That they were pressing. And that's also understandable, right? Like when your team needs you to step up. But there's also the element that, hey, the Dodgers were built on overperformance from the rest of their lineup, right? 
from a rookie like James Outman or those platoon splits from guys like Chris Taylor, Kike Hernandez and David Peralta and all that. And when the season's on the line and it's those guys coming up, you know, as opposed to you look at the Diamondbacks lineup and hey, in the eighth spot, it's Evan Longoria. Right? Changes your perspective on what your expectations should be heading into a postseason series. And ultimately, right, there wasn't a 16 win gap in talent between the Diamondbacks and the Dodgers from the teams they put up in this series, right? There wasn't that gap. In fact, as it went to go show, the Diamondbacks were better, significantly better. Now, that doesn't mean heading into next year, right, that the Dodgers won't be a top contender. They're going to get Walker Bueller back, most likely. And they, you know, they could sign Shohei Otani and and sign guys like, you know, that combination, right? The Dodgers base a lot on analytics and base a lot on platoon advantages and numbers, right? But they also, they're able to do something the Rays and some other small market teams can't, which is they can spend a bunch of money, (laughs) right? They can sign marquee talent. They don't have to do everything at and be focused on efficiency. They can also do the easy route and just spend a bunch of money. But it is impressive when you have a team like the D-backs, who, by the way, right, they're a team that's going to get more expensive with young guys, but they've also, they signed Corbin Carroll to an extension. They signed Cattell Marte to an extension years ago, right? And and they've shown that they have been willing to go out and spend on free agents like they did with Zach Greinke back in the day, like they did with Madison Bumgarner, though, of course, that didn't work out. So that's just one of the things that I find so fascinating about series like this is, is how do those things play out? And ultimately, right, looking ahead to the championship series, looking ahead for this, it's good to see a team like the time, like the Diamondbacks win because they made trades to improve their team. They made efforts to improve their team, sign a guy, extend a guy like Corbin Carroll. They are exciting and they should be rewarded for that. And I hope other teams take that pathway. And also one thing I want to say about Mike Hazen, who unfortunately lost his wife to cancer. What an impressive job by him to stick through it and see the job and, and get this done. The D-backs have a bright future. And a lot of that is patience from him and Tori Lavulo. We'll be covering the Phillies in Atlanta next before the NLCS starts. Until then, catch you next time on Fall Classic Rewind.